So after a very yummy lunch at Kilhoman, we had an appointment at Brookladdy. Mm-hmm. And we had the distinct pleasure of the company of Raymond Tibbs. What a guy. Who, who has been the distillery ambassador at Brookladdy. Mm-hmm. But he was telling us on the day that he is going to become the academy ambassador. And so instead of him leading VIP tours around the distillery, which is the category in which we fall, mm-hmm. he instead will be hosting for a week at a time ambassadors from overseas, bar people from overseas, anybody who's engaged in the business of selling Brookladdy yeah. overseas yep. will be coming to the distillery and being hosted by Raymond Tibbs as he talks them through. And and he is easily one of the best people to take on that job, uh, given that he has worked every position at Brookladdy. Uh, he, has, he has done distilling, he has done warehousing, yeah. he has done bottling, he's been in the visitor center. He, he knows that place inside out and back to front. He's yeah. also very personable, very approachable. He's great. He's great. Very, very knowledgeable. So, so we on the day wished him well in his new venture at the distillery, and just to echo those sentiments, to wish him well in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck, Raymond. Yeah. One of the things that I enjoy about Brooklady is you get to see some machinery that really is not in operation anymore. In in most most distilleries have have upgraded their mills, and by when I say upgraded. You know, they they purchased uh, a Porteous or a Bobby Mill, you know, sometime in, in, in the 30s, <laughs> 40s or 50s, you know, whatever it is. And those things will run from now until the end of time. Yep. Uh, you know, but when you first walk into the mill room, now I had never actually seen a mill in operation, whether it's one of these classic Porteous mills, please feel free to to Google uh, those those listeners that may not know what a Porteous uh, malt mill is. I, I'd never seen any mill running, huh. and all of a sudden it, it it had popped on. And I told Raymond that I said, you know, I'd love to 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 see that and to get some audio. And <laughs> I had forgotten the amount of times I've been to Brooklady, I'd forgotten what their mill looks like. Uh-huh. Yeah, the belts, right. belt-driven. You, you go in and it's all these this crazy belt work that looks like it was put together sometime in the 1800s. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's true of it. <laughs> Somewhere around there, give or take. Um, and, original. And just getting to hear the audio. So I just want to switch over to that audio so you can hear this mill just crushing grinding barley malt i'd love to get the uh that mill running on audio yeah she's running sweet as a nut she's actually just come back from crinning boatyard because this was our silent season last month so that's our maintenance period and what we do is it gets taken out of that window put on a pallet away to crinning boatyard and they recondition it they redo all the bearings and they kind of sort all the belts and the pulleys out yeah, so every season, uh, no, I beg your pardon, every five years the mill goes away, but every year we have a, a silent season. It's really just a mid-term period throughout the year for every distillery to get a bit of work done on the place. Brickladdy being so old-fashioned needs a little bit more 
were no longer fit for purpose, so we had to remove them this year, hence why the maintenance period took so long. But as you go through, it's like a working museum. You know, the distillery's been here since 1881. It was built by three brothers originally, but after the brothers had passed on, it fell into the hands of blenders for the majority of the 1900s. You know, it was owned by, you know, giants, you know, White Mackay, Edward Borden distillers, Jim Beam. These guys had a sole purpose for Brooklady, and it was to produce as much spirit as possible. There was no investment, there was no modernization, there was no renovation whatsoever. And it was so badly treated through that long period of time that when it came to its final closure in 1994, you know, there was there was talks of whether it would open again. It was in such poor condition. And it wasn't until 2001 that Mark Wainier and Simon Coughlin, two friends from the wine industry, had came along and saw the, the potential in Brooklady. It was a blank canvas, it was a clean slate. A lot of the original equipment was still here, albeit needing some, some maintenance, but it gave them a fantastic opportunity to make whiskey like they did 136 mm. years ago, using the old methods, the old equipment, the old traditions, um, and also the, you know, the people from the island as well. Some of our stillmen have been here for a couple of years, Budgie's been here for 27. And also it's about the knowledge that he then imparts down to the younger generations and, and keeps it all. But the main thing to remember is this belt-driven mill through here is as high-tech as it gets. It's fantastically old-fashioned, um, very loud, but again, let's go and, let's go and see how she sounds. Raymond, silent yes, season for Brooklady? Silent season. season, it was meant to be, um, yeah we've just had it there, okay. right? Yeah, so it was meant to be the first two weeks in June, then it turned into three weeks in June, all of June and then all of June half of July. So we had to stop tours and everything and people get really upset, you know they come in, I've come all the way to come and see Brooklady, we're like dude it's not Disneyland, we're upset, we're not making whiskey, you know it hurts us too, but um, we do what we can when we can't show people in the place, I mean it's just not safe. They're happy, you know. After yeah. a couple of drams, they forget which yeah, one they're at anyway. You know, it's hard enough to spell when you're sober, so after a couple of drams, they really don't mind. Oh, all right, yeah, thank you. So I'd never seen that before. So that that was that was one, right? Mm -hmm. Now we get over to the the mash tun, and Brooklady have a mash tun that very few distilleries nowadays still have. Yep, cast iron, open top, rake and plow. Right. So for those that are listening that might not know what a mash tun is or what it looks like. A mash tun, once once your, your barley has been ground up, uh, turned into a grist, you put that into this big, you know, nowadays it sort of looks like a big stainless tub, you know, massive, like 25 feet in diameter. Uh, sometimes it's copper on the outside, and they fill it with the grist, and then they start injecting hot water into that grist to take all of the sugars um, or to convert the starches into uh, fermentable sugars. And it's this massive enclosed machinery. And in Brooklady, theirs is quite old and open and cast iron. It's not stainless steel. And you get to look in and you see the arms that are always turning the grist. 
and they just look like massive torture devices. Yep, those are the rakes. <laughs> the rakes, yeah, there you go, the rakes. So for some of our tour guests, they've seen that before. For some of the other ones, this was new to them, and they'll have few, if any, other opportunities to well, see some something of those, like that. Some of those larger enclosed mash tons that you're describing have a little porthole in them. Yes, yes, and yes, then, yes, yes. And then they're, they're putting hot water into the grist, and so the porthole steams up. Yeah. And so you don't necessarily get to see what's happening. But at Brookladdy, at Springbank, open, it, as those rakes turn, yeah. you if you look at the wall behind you, there are splashes of, <laughs> of wet malt uh, on the wall behind you. Yeah, we, and, yeah. We actually have some some audio of that. I want to pop. Awesome. Up yeah, yeah. Oh, terrific. Yeah. So, this is the original open top mash tun from 1881. So every single bottle of Brocladi that has ever been made has come from this mash tun. So it's one of the last in Scotland. I believe there's only about five of these left in Scotland in total. The the legislation has changed since this mash tun was built. So you'll find that more modern mash tuns are made of stainless steel or copper. The legislation states that you must use a food grade material. So that's why stainless steel and copper have become the norm. Because this predates the legislation, we're allowed to keep it. It reminds me of like a big old cooking pot, you know, yeah. it retains all sorts of flavour. Yeah. It retains heat a lot better, but it's obviously got the open top, so that yeah. kind of disregards that. But the dome that covers the more modern mash tons is for efficiency. You know, you lose less heat, you lose less liquid through evaporation. And by doing that, you can do a three water mashing. We're still doing a four water mash here at Brookladdy. Huh. Because we're losing all that heat and that liquid, and also because in 1881, it was a four water mash that would have been done. It was traditionally a, a four water. So to begin with, we bring through 23,000 um, litres of water coming through this copper pipe here and that's coming through with the seven tons of grist. So it comes through in a kind of lumpy porridge consistency when it comes through here. The rake and plough has to sit underneath the, the pipe. The reason for that is it helps disperse the weight just so it doesn't unbalance the mash tun. But it does end up kind of going all over the walls and you know it sprays all over the place when we're filling it. So you get really? these, yeah, yeah. So you get these die-hard whiskey fans. You know the Brocladi fans never seen something like this. Then they're getting covered in bits of grist and hot water, and they're just like, yeah, it's Brocladi. You know, <laughs> he's looking for the sign-up sheet right now. Yeah, it's just—it's so much more immersive. He's about you know? to jump in right yeah. now. I'm just saying. Normally, all you get is a little hatch that they'll open. It's the steam's normally taking the skin clean off your face, so you can't go too close to it. You get a little porthole window to have a peek through, usually steamed up with condensation. So you don't really get to see what's going on in here um, in some of the more modern counterparts. So it's good to have it so open plan like this. But basically what we're doing is, once it's filled to the watermark around the edge, it's starting to drain now, but you can see around the edge there, the watermark, the rake and plough will do one rotation per water. So the more modern mash tons can mix continuously. We only mix once because we, the more we disturb it, the more heat we lose. You know, it started to form almost a crust on the top at the minute to help keep that heat in. And the other reason is the drainage system, the plates on the bottom are old fashioned as well. So the more we mix it, the more the husks fall to the bottom and block the drain. So we can only mix it one time per water. It's two hours per water. So it's an eight hour mashing that we're doing here at Ricladi. We're doing three mashings a day, five days a week. 
So we don't do any production at the weekends. On a Wednesday morning we have a clean out, but apart from that we're 24 hours production throughout Monday to, Monday to Friday. The first water that's coming in here is 65 degrees Celsius. So that's your optimal temperature for your starch to convert to natural sugar. After that, the water's uh, volumes and temperatures vary. The second water is 85 degrees, but it's only 12,500 litres. And that's because after the first and second waters come through here, we've already taken about 70% of the natural sugars <coughs> inside. So water one and two are taken next door for fermentation. Water three and four are both 16,600 litres and they're stored in the brewing tanks at the back and used as the first and second water of the next mashing that we do. So we're kind of kick-starting it with a little bit of sugar content already when we're bringing the last two waters in. And they are at 87 and 93 degrees Celsius for the last two waters. Any higher than that, you start to kind of run the risk of killing off the enzymes. So that's the highest temperature we have, it's 93. So Raymond takes us through the the washbacks, right? Where they, they, they ferment that, that sugary barley water that was made in, in, in the, uh, in the mash tun, basically turn it into a beer. In the, the Oregon pine. In the Oregon pine. Um, that's, that's what the, the washbacks are made of. For those of you listening that aren't familiar, whiskey is just beer that's been distilled. Minus the hops. We've talked about this before. Right, so so we, we go to the washbacks, we see that happen, we get to taste the wash or the beer, and we go into the stills, we get to see all that. That's lovely jubbly. That is not what I want to talk about. Jason <laughs> Johnson yelling. Are you are you getting to a warehouse oh possibly? Is that where you're going with this? So so Raymond takes us into the warehouse to where we're <laughs> you know, there's three casks in front of you. And there's seats all around and glasses and, and all that. And he's got three amazing casks sitting in front of us. The first one he opens up is that insane 26-year-old Brooklady, right? Unpeated Brooklady. Yeah, that was terrific. Really, really crisp. Uh, the bourbon shone through. The fruits shone through. Yeah, real nice, classic old Brooklady. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of our uh, our twenty eight year old Bunahaben. Okay, I can see that. Right? Yeah, it, it, I it can had see the, that. The crispness to it, Christmas crispness to it. It had the fruit, but the the oak was there. It wasn't imposing, but it was yeah. there enough framed to tell it. you. Yeah, framing it enough to tell you that you know you, sir or miss, are are drinking an older whiskey, but it had life to it. It was not dead. It was not old. It was not tired at all. Yep. Yep. Went over great with our group. Did you have a favorite from those three? Actually, it was that one. Was it that one? Okay. Surprisingly, because then they, you know, there's the older Octomore being pour, poured straight from the cask. Yeah. And and I feel like by default, I should go Gaga for the Octomore. I just thought that 26-year-old Brooklady was just so beautifully put mm -hmm, together mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm a... I'm a peat freak every day of the week and it was the unpeated brooklady that really resonated with me in that particular moment yeah yeah so it was it was brooklady it was port charlotte in the rothschild cask yeah yeah um which was definitely interesting we had a wine geek with us jam 
um, who he, he didn't really dig it. I, I liked it. I liked what was happening. I think Port Charlotte is meant to be odd and funky and weird and, and using those wine casks, I think only helps to, to amplify that. So it was what I had hoped it would taste like. So you have given me the perfect introduction to reveal what I've had in my glass through this podcast. If you remember our original note that was quintessentially Josh and Jumalt was pickled walnuts. (laughs) Yes. This this is an impromptu news segment that we are announcing that later this year all goes according to plan or next year hashtag disclaimer (laughs) we have purchased a single cask of 2002 port charlotte that has spent all 14 years just a month shy of 15 years in a first fill sherry hoggy yeah and it is dark and it is peaty yeah and it has pickled walnuts on the nose. Yeah. It is a remarkable single cask of Port Charlotte. So, uh, yeah. Can, yeah. Can I? I yeah. just I just need to uh-huh. say this. Sing- yes. So the the Go label on. the label is with the TTB uh-huh. now. It is. And we always put tasting notes on our label. Mm-hmm. We do. I'm there for that. Here are the tasting notes for this Port Charlotte. The label notes, which are a truncated version of our of our total notes. Uh-huh. This rust-colored Port Charlotte Sherry Monster reverberates with notes of dark wood, boozy dark fruits, and Mexican dark chocolate. Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> oh, oh, that, that whiskey is so... That sums it up beautifully for me. Oh. Yeah, this... If you remember our... Our Lagavulin six. Oh no, it's an undisclosed. It was undisclosed. If you remember <laughs> our, if you remember our undisclosed six-year-old Isla, that that was in uh, Pedro Jimenez Sherry. Yep, second fill. Yeah, I remember. When it. we when we launched pre-sales of that while it was on the boat coming to San Francisco. It sold out in two hours. <laughs> I think this Port Charlotte, which we're going to sell for $125 a bottle, a 14-year-old heavily sherried Port Charlotte for $125 a bottle, should not last as long as two hours. Well, let's keep in mind that six-year-old second fill PX cask, the one you just mentioned, was also... $125. So we're getting an extra eight, almost nine years on this for the same price. This is going to sell insanely well. This is going to be madness. When this launches, we will be doing a countdown to launch. Um, our very good friend, Michael Nolan, who was on tour with us, uh, tells us that he opened up his email the morning that we started to pre-sell the undisclosed six-year-old in PX, Sherry. He opened his email and he said, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to get some of that. I just have to go into a meeting. 
And when he came out of the meeting, he clicked the link and it it worked, but there were no bottles to buy. <laughs> and and I remember he texted me and he said, Jason, your link is broken for the undisclosed six-year-old in PX Sherry. And I unfortunately had to text him back and say, bad news, Michael, it's sold out. And he yeah. said, you are kidding me. And I said, no, it, we didn't expect it to sell that fast. So we will be doing a countdown to the launch of the Port Charlotte so that nobody will have to go to a meeting when we launch it. Nobody will have their kids you know, in front of them at that yeah. moment. We will launch this and make it available to our entire membership yeah. according to the rules of membership. And this is going to sell. It's going to sell, sell, sell. And if they decide to book a meeting or decide to parent that day, it's their own <laughs> damn fault that they missed it. Yeah, even even that that PX selling out in two hours never crashed our website. I'm I'm curious if Port Charlotte can be the first <laughs> release to crash our website. Challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's so, going to be awesome. So now that you've revealed your whiskey, and and we're going to get back to Raymond in a second. Yeah. In fact, Raymond is going to take us into the misconceptions portion yes, of our of our podcast. Yes, he is. But I, I need to reveal something as well. You revealed your whiskey, and I'm going to reveal mine. <laughs> if that wasn't clear to anybody listening <laughs> to this whiskey podcast. <laughs> you know, coming off of that Isla trip, I spent each and every day thereafter trying to feel that again, to feel that, that tour again, <laughs> because... Trying to feel that high. This, it was a high, right? Every day was some sort of an Isla high. And <laughs> and you feel like you're living in a in, in a bit of a dream world because nothing that happened while we are on while we were on tour is part of what your regular life is like. It's right? not even close. Right? Holy it's, moly. It, it's it's the whiskey version of, of Westworld, except yeah. you know, we're not killing anybody. And if we were, you would not be able to find the bodies at Malavol. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Ah, every time. Just don't look in the peat bogs under the bridge. Oh, did it again. <laughs> um, so here I am last week, and I'm on my vacation that, that we touched on a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, and I always bring vacation whiskey with me. Right, so I brought with me uh, something I don't normally do. I brought with me a bottle of bourbon, uh, but this was a wild turkey, a Russell's Reserve pick by Gene from Warehouse Liquors, mm-hmm. who does, good, in good my friend. opinion, some of the best bourbon cask picks ever. His palate jives with us. Our palate jives with him. Yeah, it works works well. Yeah, he does a great job, sort of taking bourbon out of its comfort zone and presenting bourbon in a way that you don't normally expect it which i love so so i brought that with me and i also brought the kilhoman uh east coast tour bottling nice. from last year which you can see i'm, I'm pretty pretty low you're running very low <laughs> I'm running you have a backup low. what's that you have a backup i, I don't a, a I second don't nope this is it that's it wow. yeah um so so here we are. We're visiting some friends, 
who live in Maine, so we had to drive 45 minutes over to their, uh, they have a family cottage by the lake, so generations have, you know, had this house. And, uh, and our friend, neighbor, uh, Jake, takes me and my friend Greg and Greg's son, Will, out onto the, out onto the boat and onto the, onto the lake. And we get into an area where he can just open the throttle. And we're cruising through this lake, and the wind is in my hair. It's beautiful. No midges. No midges. Uh, it was the day after the eclipse, right? <laughs> um, and I'm just with two guys who I just genuinely enjoy. I think they're fantastic. And and getting to experience that lake with that quiet, with that Kilhoman in my glass, it brought me back. It brought me back to that special time on Isla. And um, I'm not going to lie, teared up a little bit. Felt really, really good. Look at that. So uh, so I wanted wasn't, to... Sh- wasn't the wind screaming through your eyeballs? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm such a softie. Oh, <laughs> So, uh, so it just, it made me feel great. And, and I wanted to, to share that with you. Well, you feeling great always makes me happy. Oh, Jason. So cheers to that. Cheers. So we'll come back to Raymond a little later in the podcast when we throw the misconception of the week over to him. Mm-hmm. But as much as we started our morning with the swimmers, our Tuesday morning, we closed our Tuesday night, not only with the swimmers, but with the film crews, with the parents uh, of Justin. Yeah, that's right. And we had the most amazing dinner cooked by Rachel McCormick, who is a very well-known chef, uses whiskey in a lot of her recipes has a book coming out called Chasing the Dram. It's out now. Yeah, it's actually, it's out now. Do we know when it's coming to the US? Oh, that's a good question. Because that we didn't know that when we had dinner uh, with her. So That's but, a good point. But if, if people are interested yeah. and, and don't want to wait, you know, Amazon UK or whatever, I'm sure we'll have it. Terrific. Uh, Chasing the Dram. She, she cooked some amazing food. And what was most amazing to me about her cooking that night was she had only just stepped into that kitchen. This was at the house uh, that our swimmers were occupying and our crew was occupying. It's a tiny kitchen. It was not big at all. And she was just thrown into this kitchen. And if that be, I do a lot of cooking, obviously, for my family, not professionally. Um, but if I'd just been thrown into that little tiny kitchen and I was asked to cook for... 12, 15, 18 people, I would be at my wit's end and I would not be throwing out the best of my recipes. There was over, <laughs> t- there was over 20 people. There. Over 20 people. Yeah. And every single course was flawless. Um, a good amount of the, the produce had been picked at the Isla Community Garden. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, I just... You know, you just talked there about having a moment when you return to Isla in your mind. I think about the food that, that was produced there, yeah. and I was blown away. I really was, Joshua. Um, I thought she overcame every single hurdle. 
<laughs> impeccably. Mm-hmm. And and everybody around the table, and we kept going back for this course and another course and two soup courses and two fish courses and a dessert and an amazing salad or two. And oh my goodness, I could, I was full after my first plate of food and I just kept going because I wanted all those amazing flavors. Well, Something to throw into this, not only did she have this tiny kitchen and over 20 people to cook for, there was the (laughs) added wrinkle that two of them, you and I, two of us, (laughs) right, uh, were vegetarian. So she had to make... Or are vegetarian. What's that? Or are vegetarian. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we we remain vegetarian. (laughs) After that night, gave it up. (laughs) Everything out the window. Uh, so, so she had to make some special dishes. I mean, obviously she made them for everybody, but she had to make sure that there were vegetarian options for us. Well, and, and Johnny and I had the, the same Scottish reaction when she made cauliflower cheese. Mm-hmm. This, this is on a, on a Scottish comfort level with mac and cheese. Um, we, we, I don't think we tend to make as much mac and cheese. And actually I know for a fact, we don't make as much mac and cheese in Scotland as you make in America. We, we love it. We see in a lot of places, we don't make nearly as much cauliflower cheese is your Sunday roast dinner accompaniment that is incredibly wonderful and comforting. And I'm, I'm so glad Johnny and I, aside from Rachel, were the only two Scots in the room. And we both went, oh, God, Lord, geez. <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, that was such a, a, so it was a great dinner because the food was amazing. It was a great dinner because Rachel McCormick was there and making it and cooking for us. And it was a great dinner because of the camaraderie. We were just talking yeah. to Johnny and Chad and Justin about the swim. What had they seen? Who had they met? We're talking about the, to the crews. How's the filming going? What are you seeing? How are the shots? I think even that day, um, Cramp, who was one of the, the photographers and, mm-hmm. and camera guys, I think he'd even been in the water. I think that was the date, the day that he shot that amazing image of Johnny swimming, swimming towards the, yeah. the camera. Yeah. And so we're talking to to Cramp, and he was excited about being in the water and the photos that he'd taken. And we'd been at Colholman, and we'd been at Brookladdie. And and again, just to continue that thread, Tuesday somehow was better than money. Monday, <laughs> yeah, it was better than money, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, it was better than Monday, which yeah. in turn, in its own way, had been better than Sunday, which in its own way had been... It just kept going, and so... Tuesday was a, a, a remarkable day, and uh, and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. You talk about looking back with a dram in your hand, getting a little emotional on the water. When I think about camaraderie, it's it's always camaraderie that chokes yeah. me up. Yeah. When yeah. People coming together, our William story from the Monday, our swimmers and family mm-hmm. and crew and Rachel and our guests on the Tuesday night, just... You just keep having these experiences with with people, and you just connect, especially at a time when it seems like people are more prone to fall out with one another or yeah. be divisive. 
mm-hmm. having moments when people just came together so honestly yeah. and easily over whiskey, mm-hmm. it was brilliant. Really, really brilliant. Right, and that was what got us started in our business was yeah. bringing yep. people together over whiskey. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. it brings it all back home. Yeah, it's funny because people keep asking, oh, how did your expedition go? And and they want to know about the swimmers and they made it safely and they and they made it all the way around the island. But whenever I think of the expedition, it, it's exactly what you just said. It echoes so much of what we've always tried to do with our company. Mm-hmm. And as much as we sponsored two guys and Johnny and the film crew to go over to Ireland to swim around it, we also sponsored a chance for people to meet each other in a mm-hmm. new an interesting way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and every time that worked it really reinforced why we wrote the check why we sponsored it why we got involved with justin and chad to begin with yeah they're good guys doing good things no surprise they've got great families yeah no right? surprise <laughs> they built a great crew around them no surprise we had amazing tour guests with us who loved the whole experience just it just it makes that makes me very happy yeah. and uh and you know a, a little emotional not take some of your emotional thunder but that's the type of thing that chokes me that's great so cheers cheers again do i have to hold on let's clink these glasses <laughs> for those for those of you who have wondered what was that Every time I cheers and it sounds like I'm kicking a bucket, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's called a pop guard on a microphone, and it stops the p p pops and the s s s sounds. So there you go, uh, Jason. You and I between need us, to get out of here. Yeah, between between us talking and uh, and the recordings and everything like that, we've been talking for a while. Um. But we need to we need to pass the mic over to Raymond, who's going to bring us this week's misconception. It's a good question. To be honest, the most common misconception that we get, like I mentioned earlier, would be the thought that age determines quality. Right. So there's a lot of people who refuse to drink a whiskey less than 15 years. Mm. They will assume that a 20-year-old has double the merits and double the quality of a 10. Mm. And when I, I'm asked that, you know, the, the one question you inevitably get asked every time you have a group is, what's the oldest cask that you have? But it's the folks that, that have this idea that miss out on so much that Scotch whiskey and, and any whiskey, for example, has to offer. Folks like Colhoman have just hit the 10-year mark. And if everyone had that mentality of age equals quality, folks like Colhoman would never get off the ground, you know? You can buy faceless supermarket malt at 40 years old and, and it will burn all the way down to your feet. Um, so I guess that would probably be the one if you want to quote Peter Griffin that grinds my gears the most. Um, but, um, We've used that in the podcast. But all, all you can do is, um, is you know, just... Give people your, your wisdom and, and hope yeah. to, to turn them on the right path. Now, what's the most ridiculous one you've ever heard? The most ridiculous one I get asked, to be honest, it's not so much whiskey focused. It's more, you get a lot of people who are brought up around whiskey and they love whiskey, and then they find out we make gin, 
And it's our own fault for putting a giant 22 on the bottle, but we do get asked if the gin's 22, 22 years, years old. <laughs> and in a little bit, you dies inside every time you hear that. <laughs> but, um, and, and you try to come up with more and more humorous ways of, you know, of, of thinking of ways to answer it. There's another one, people will come in and say, what's the difference between the Scottish barley and the Isla barley? And the best answer is 200 miles as a crow flies. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, I guess. All right, perfect. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. So thanks to Raymond for getting in on the fun yes. of our, our every episode, more or less. <laughs> I think we've covered misconceptions as often as I've been here. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Raymond for that. A million thanks to everybody that we featured on today's podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to list them. There would be credits that are longer than Star Wars. Um, but I, I just really, 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 really uh, happy with how the tour got underway. Yeah. Um, you know, from our Oban on the Saturday through our Isla on the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Next episode, we'll talk about our Campbellton experience on the Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. And after that, we'll have an episode where we close out the tour. But thanks to, to everybody that made time for us and supported us. Uh, thank you, Joshua, for uh, always having your recording device close to hand. You're very welcome. Thank you to the listeners mm -hmm. for going back through this journey with us. And I'm sorry that more of our listeners couldn't be there with us. Uh, maybe in future we'll have a chance to take some listeners to Isla and, and have some fun on a Whiskey oh, Geek tour that'd together. Nice. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a lot yeah, of fun. Special, they can they can special One Nation under Whiskey Whiskey yeah. Geek tour. Yeah, they can they can put us to the challenge of every day being better than the last. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, a, a million thanks in a million different places, and cheers to you, Joshua. Yeah. I will most definitely be back. For the next episode <laughs> uh, before this episode closes it's so funny you just want to close it i'm not gonna let it happen <laughs> before this closes I, I i do want to say a couple of things uh we we are receiving more mail uh which is good this week we're not going to be able to have a chance to get to it there's actually uh a message that we received recently through instagram remember i said People message each other through Instagram, but I didn't know how they did it. One of these chaps had figured out how to do it. But his question, uh, I thought, was wonderful. Uh, but it doesn't fit the theme of this podcast, so we're going gonna to pass on by. But I just wanted to let people know that if you wanted to send messages to us, that sending it through Instagram does work. So email us at questions at one nation under whiskey.com tweet us at one nation whiskey instagram message us at one nation under whiskey or facebook message us at facebook.com slash one nation under whiskey and then finally say wonderful things about us on itunes go to itunes go to our podcast Please give us five stars. That would be great. Please say nice things about us and our podcast. That would be great. We would love it. And I've, I've said my piece, Jason. If anybody piece. wants to comment on iTunes that our podcasts are too short, that would go a long way in making me feel better about how much time we take up. But anywho, let's 
call it good. Let's hand it over to the closing music. And uh, we'll be back to do this again in two weeks. In two American weeks. A fortnight, if you will. Oh. All right. Let's do it in a fortnight, Jason. See you in a fortnight, Joshua. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.